Thank you for joining us for the Local Church Podcast. At Local Church, we value each person's unique experience with faith and hope this message impacts you today. A few months ago, I was with Nadia and we were in Mississauga. And Nadia was preaching at a conference. It was an ARC conference, the Association of Related Churches, an organization that in Canada plants churches. And together you and I, we donate to this organization and we're a part of church planting right throughout Canada. And they wanted Nadia to come and speak. So she spoke. Do you remember her, um, her message that's called The Ministry of the Table? Do you remember that? Really impacting sermon. She preached that, but to a room full of pastors, leaders, staff, key members of, of churches and leadership teams right throughout the province of Ontario. She preached it, and it was the sermon of the event. It was referenced many, many times later on that day from stage from different people. And you know that it's a great sermon when everyone keeps talking about it. She finished preaching, walked off the stage, big hug. You know, that, that moment where it's like, you crushed. That was amazing. The following morning, I caught up with a friend. His name is Jason Ballard. Nadi was there with me. We're sitting down and talking, catching up. And Jason's from BC, a church planter, great guy, works for Alpha here in Canada. Just a brilliant, uh, a brilliant friend, great man of God. We sit down and start talking. And he's like, man, I've got to be honest with you. I've been thinking about this question and I, and I haven't yet formulated my answer. Do you want to know what the question is? And I was like, yeah, of course. I mean, I was thinking he was going to talk about, you know, the upcoming Super Bowl or the Raptors' chances for the year or maybe something a little more trivial. But Jason's not like that. He says to me, he says, Levi, how do you make one disciple? And I was like, what do you mean? He says, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? How do you make one disciple? I, I, I thought for a minute, I thought, well, uh, uh, we just, you, I'm not sure. He said, neither am I. He said, all I know is this, one, one of the members of our staff, he's late to every meeting, he leaves early, he just, he's, he's the least professional member of our squad. But one thing's for sure, he loves Jesus. And the second thing for sure is this, he has so many people that follow him that he's discipling in the way of Jesus, and they too are disciples of Christ. And I'm trying to figure out what it is that's the juice, the X factor that's in him, that he's able to replicate his faith in others. He said, Levi, so often in the church, we want to scale up ideas and let's take a sermon, put it online. Let's take small group gatherings and have heaps of them. Let's take Sunday services and do it 52 times a year. We're trying to scale up. Let's launch new campuses, launch new groups. He said, but if you just had to make one disciple, what would you do? I drove home with Nadia. I began to think. I said, I said to her, I said, how consistent in the Bible, in the four gospels, are the words of Jesus towards discipleship, followership, learning. This Greek word disciple is the word mathetes. How often does it come up in the scriptures? I got back to the office, sat down with our staff. I would then talk with members of our board, the, the people that run our campuses, Toronto, Kingston, different members of our key team meeting in the office, pulled out a whiteboard, started brainstorming. Guys, what, what, how do you make one disciple? People started scratching their head like, oh, yeah, um, invite them to church, catch up for coffee, get to know them. Relational discipleship. We started to get some, some juice going. We started to get some ideas flowing. But quickly we realized that you can't answer the question, how do you make one disciple, until you define what a disciple actually is. So what is a disciple? 
and all of these questions flowing back to my friend Jason. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Who is Jesus? I remember when I was 13 years old, I got saved. I'm not from a Christian home. I'm so thankful that my mom and my stepdad have since given their lives to the Lord and she's been baptized. So grateful to see the change that's in their life. But at the age of 13, I got saved, went to a Baptist youth group event, gave my life to Jesus. I came home and fell in love with walking with him. I fell in love with the fact that God would love me so much that he would send his son to die on a cross for me. I realized that to follow Jesus was like an apprenticeship. And so at the age of 13, this is uh, 25 years ago, I wrote the word apprentice on a piece of A4 printing paper and stuck it to my wall, to a beam actually, um, that went across my ceiling. And around it, I put the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like kindness and long suffering, peace, gentleness. And I put these words up and I, every day I would read them that to follow Jesus in my mind was to be an apprentice under the rabbi of Nazareth. And I remember thinking to myself that this was the way forward that I would give my life to this rabbi. I would give my life to the son and to the savior whose name is Jesus. And the reason the word was so struck, that I was so struck by the word and it had me circle all the way back all of these years later is because at the time in my thinking, it was simple. Jesus was the long prophesied and redemptive Messiah. He came to save the world. He didn't just turn up and do that though. He taught, he lived, he led people. The people who followed him were called little Christs. Someone once said to me, Levi, what's, what's a Christian without Christ? I said, what's that? And they said, oh, it's an Ian. Little Christs. It was a term that described the process of following Jesus, the process of discipleship. I tried to take that concept of being a little Christ, a follower of Jesus, and boil it down into one word. And, and I believe that day, that was super helpful for me. And I came up with that phrase, with that word apprentice, to engage in an apprenticeship for Jesus to be my foreman, my on-the-job trainer. Recently, we renovated our home and we needed some electrical work done, a sub-panel, um, we needed some, some, uh, some cables run, we needed some, some pot lights and a few little bits and pieces, some, some plugs in the kitchen. We needed to bring the house up to code. And so we, we, we um, reached out to a friend and asked, do you know any electricians? He said, yep. And the electrician came over and he quoted the job. Then he sent two of his guys. One of the guys was a qualified electrician, both great guys and both great electricians, but only one was qualified. He was the one who would sign off on the work of the apprentice electrician. So one electrician was signing off and doing work. The other one was following the qualified electrician around and copying everything that he did. Not so that he could just pass an exam and get qualified, but so that he could truly be an electrician. The older electrician, in a way that only electricians can do, would have him follow and copy and he would look and critique and change the things that he did so that he could one day move from being an apprentice to being a qualified electrician. More on that later. Over the last two or three years, in fact, we have three years coming up, coming up in a, a, a couple of months as a church, three-year birthday, three-year anniversary. In fact, today, right now, I'm preaching to you I'm in the middle of my 16th year wedding anniversary and I could think of no better place to spend it than with you. Happy anniversary to you, Nadia. We've, for the last three years, been um, 
executing a style of discipleship that I would call relational discipleship. It's my favorite kind. I don't believe that you can have quality discipleship outside of relationship. I think to be in community with others, to be in a church family and be discipled and be taught in relationship is the best way forward. And I believe that that's modeled by Jesus himself. But we want to this year make an intentional shift from just being a church that has relational discipleship to being a a church that has intentional discipleship, to make discipleship clearly defined for all and make it clearly accessible to all. And that, my friends, has served as an intro for what we hope will be an excellent eight-week discipleship series. And with that, let's dive into the first sermon, which is called Three Years That Changed History. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson one day went camping. They pitched their tent and lay under the stars. And at one point, turning to Holmes, Dr. Watson, uh, excuse me, Sherlock Holmes turned to um, Dr. Watson and said, "Um, Watson, look up at the stars and tell me what you see. And in response, Watson said this, I see millions of stars. And if in those stars there are galaxies like ours, there must be planets like ours. And I can surmise that there must be possibility of life out there. Holmes replied, Watson, you idiot. Somebody stole our tent. I love that story, that comic strip, because it gives us this understanding that even the greats can miss what's right in front of their eyes. And I think as Christians, we're brilliant at this. We go on with life and we overcomplicate our faith and we forget the centerpiece of our faith, the main focus of our faith, the reason why we're here today. And that person is Jesus. And we can, even though he's right in front of us and wanting to draw us into community and into faith and give us life and hope to center our life and faith around Jesus, we can forget that he is the centerpiece of all that we do. The son of God, the son of man, the friend of sinners, they called him. The finder of the lost the sent one, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Lord and King, Jesus, the Rabbi of Nazareth. The Old Testament foreshadowed his arrival. The New Testament writers write about him and talk about him consistently. The apostle Paul said, we preach Christ. The father declared, this is my son, listen to him. And the spirit edifies. In the book of John 14 and 26, it says, the Holy Spirit will bring to you remembrance of all that I, Jesus, have said to you. So let's center this sermon, this moment of our lives, on those three years of his ministry that changed history. They changed everything. For with his birth and his death, his resurrection and ascension, we now have our Christian faith. Those three years of his ministry, of his life and teaching changed everything. Friends, he came as a son the Son of God. He came as a servant to serve His people, and He came as a sacrifice, as that spotless lamb to give up His life for His people. But He also came, friends, as a sign. The Bible says in Luke 11, Jesus delivers the Lord's Prayer to us. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. But there's this section after that, it's often overlooked where Jesus talks about himself. 
And this wasn't altogether common for him to do. He, was often, he would often heal someone and then tell them not to say anything to anybody so that he could move on with his life, fulfill prophecy, do things, preach the gospel, heal the sick without being chastised and chased by crowds. But in Luke eleven twenty nine, it says, as the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. But as Jonah was the sign for the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. Then the men of Nineveh will stand at the judgment with the generation and condemn it, for they repented to the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. And to this generation, he says, I am the sign. I'm often involved in those, um, well, I'm often involved in debates, which I love, but I'm often involved in the debates around who's the greatest of all time. You know those debates, the greatest of all time debates? Who's the greatest actor? Who's the greatest celebrity? Who's the greatest author? Who's the greatest preacher? Who's the greatest runner, swimmer? Who's the greatest baseball player, football player, basketball player? Bolt, Phelps, Brady, Jordan, LeBron James. We have these conversations. Recently, LeBron James said that after a 3-1 victory in the finals over the Golden State Warriors in 2016, that he said because of that victory, after that, he was the greatest player of all time. Dave Chappelle recently said, and she opened that night for the comedian who many believe is the goat. And there was a murmur and a laugh and an applause amongst the crowd because it's not common for these people that we think are the greatest in their field to admit that they think it too. For many of these athletes, accomplished people, they're so polite on the issue. But every now and then we get these glimpses. And I believe that this is one of those moments for Jesus. The Old Testament foreshadowed him. The Father implores us to follow him. The Holy Spirit edifies him. The apostles and the writers of the New Testament have him at the center of their teachings. And he says, I am the sign that this generation is looking for. In other words, there are a lot of people looking for the Father. There are a lot of people looking for God. There are a lot of people looking for spirituality and they are looking for me. You see today, the historical evidence for Jesus is widespread and long established and well recognized. H.G. Wells quoted, he says this, he says, Jesus is the most dominant figure in human history. The world doesn't deny that he existed. The world is just trying to figure out where he fits. In the words of many great Bible teachers, he is either a liar, he's mad, or he's telling the truth. Like many who are hearing today's message, our staff, team, I have decided that he is not mad and that he is not lying, but I've dedicated my life to the belief that he is indeed telling the truth. Understand today that we've marked our timeline by his life and his death. That more has been written about him than any other person in human history. That his life story is the most translated book of all time. That he's inspired more songs, poems, movies, and artwork than any other person in history. That a film about him has seen by more people than any film ever produced. That he never traveled outside an area greater than Wales, but his influence is undoubtedly worldwide and generational. As a religion, Christianity has the largest grouping of followers that there's ever been. There are today over 2 billion weekly churchgoers. 
that 130 million people go to church in America alone this Sunday, which is more than the total combined annual attendance of all four major American sports. That he's controversial, the most in history. He's influential, the most in history. That there's not one person who is more adored or opposed, rejected or received, revered or critiqued than Jesus. And even right now, as we speak, there are millions of people reading his words, trying to apply it to their own life right now. And on top of that, we believe as Christians that he is alive today and is speaking to us still, even right now. One of the great atheist philosophers, Anthony Flew, once debated with C.S. Lewis, goes on to say that no other religion enjoys anything like the combination of a charismatic leader like Jesus and a first-class theologian and intellect like St. Paul. If you're wondering if God has set up a religion, it seems to me that this is the one to beat. Jesus Christ had an undeniable transformative impact on the people that he interacted with. And friends understand today that he still has an undeniable transformative impact on the people that meet him even today. Jesus performed supernatural miracles. He calmed the sea, healed the blind, opened the mute mouth, healed diseases, cast out demons. He's the second Adam. He's the, he's the father's strategy of redemption for his people. Romans 8, 17 says, For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, of the gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Billy Graham says this, The right understanding of Jesus is essential to salvation. The Bible says in John 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. As we launch into a year where our goal, simply put, is to have a church full of disciples, as we dive in and as we focus and define it and help you understand the concept and as we better equip one another to follow Jesus and grow in our faith, we must first ask the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is this person we preach about, this God that we worship? Who is Jesus? And if you're taking notes in the time that we have together, I've got three brief answers that I think might help us answer that question. Who is Jesus? Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. It's a three-letter word. should be easy to spell. It'll come up on your screen. And the word is God. In short, this is why he was killed. In short, this is why he was crucified. They brought three charges against Jesus. The first one was that he loves sinners. And that's why we love him, because he loves us. The second is that he healed on the Sabbath. More on that in session three in our discipleship series. But number three, it was for the blasphemy of declaring himself to be the son of God. He said this, before Abraham was, I am. And he declared that he was God, that the word was flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he lived as a man amongst the people of the earth. When we come to Jesus, we must accept that. Because if we don't, 
we accept just a watered down version of that, which is just that he was a good moral teacher. Not just a teacher, not just a great man, not just a revolutionary, not just a hippie, but the son of God, God himself in the flesh. A few weeks ago, we talked about the illustration of Aladdin, the great genie in the lamp. And genie, when describing to Aladdin what it is to be a genie, he says, to be a genie is to have phenomenal cosmic powers in an itty-bitty living space. Isn't that Jesus? Phenomenal, transcendent, miraculous, impossible to understand cosmic powers in an itty-bitty living space, in the body of a man, which leads us to our second point. Number one, he's God. But number two, he is a man. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, This Christian life is a great mystery, far exceeding our understanding, but some things are clear enough. He appeared in a human body, was proved right by the invisible spirit, was seen by angels, proclaimed among all kinds of peoples, believed in all over the world, and taken up into heavenly glory. The King James Version of that translates into this. God manifested in the flesh that God appeared in human body or that he manifested in the flesh. Let me ask you a question. For all the book readers and, you know, and movie buffs out there, all those people that love you know, books and movie adaptations, you know, what's up with our fanaticism of the prophesied one? Think about all the movies and books that talk about the one, the prophesied one. I mean, the Matrix franchise, which is now four films, one of the most successful, monetarily successful franchises of all time, uh, is about the one, Neo. Neo is even like an acronym, an anagram, of the word one, is the word Neo, the prophesied one, the one that if we find him, he's been prophesied about for generations, he will save us. Okay, the greatest and most successful movie franchise of all time, monetarily, nine films, Star Wars. The whole thing is about Anakin Skywalker, the prophesied one. You were supposed to bring bring balance to the force. I have the higher ground. The whole thing is about Harry Potter. The amount of Harry Potter references from this pulpit, I apologize. I blame Tyler and Chris. But the whole thing, is about the boy who lived, come to die. The whole thing is about the prophesied one, the one that will bring balance and take down the bad guy and make it good for all of us. Aragorn's journey in the Lord of the Rings. Dune's Paul Atreides. Honestly, what is up with our fanaticism about a good prophecy? I tell you why. The sent one, the prophesied one, this messianic complex that we have, It's because it's at the core of who we are. I believe it's ingrained in our DNA because of Jesus. That God put it there so that when we would catch wind of the Father sending His Son and sacrificing and and that He'll be prophesied for generations to bring hope and peace, that He'd be the way, the truth, and the life, something within us comes alive. That that moment that He came was so dramatic and so impacting and so explosive that it changed everything. We have a core longing for the coming of God because we have trusted people and they have failed us. And we know that our God to be holy and perfect. And so if he has a plan, we want to be on board. And Jesus is God's plan for salvation.
and the right understanding of Jesus is essential for salvation. He's God. He's a, who is Jesus? He's God. Who is Jesus? A man. And lastly, who is Jesus? As we start what we, what we believe will be an impacting eight-week discipleship series. He is, if you're taking notes, God, man, rabbi. Rabbi. Have you ever seen the first Transformers movie? Michael Bay, you know, look, he's hit or miss. First Transformers movie, look, not a great film, but one of my favorites. In fact, it was in my top five films, which is really more like, what's your favorite top five films rather than what are the best top five films of all time? Because the best, best top five films of all time, you could just jump on IMDb and you would find those. That'd be The Godfather 1 and 2, uh, The Shawshank Redemption, The Dark Knight, and probably a movie you've never seen like Citizen Kane. Great. What are your favorite movies? Well, in, in my top five for a long time was the Transformers movie because I grew up on Transformers and to see it come alive on screen, not just in animation, I was just rocked by this movie. I loved it. Best cartoon, great movie. Essentially, these aliens, Transformers, they arrive on the earth in, in what's called space form, as look like space robots. And then they take the shape of something. Autobots take the shape of cars, Decepticons the shape of planes, it's oversimplified. But my point is, is they got to choose. They could choose to be anything. And they chose cars and planes, as it is with Jesus. He could choose anything, to take the form of anything, to train to be anything. So what did he choose? Well, he chose to be a baby originally, chose to be a man, a human being, and he chose the role of rabbi, teacher, Jewish, religious, educator. And this is where our journey of discipleship, friends, gets really interesting. You see, Jesus was a lot of things. Son of God, the Christ, Messiah. But when we read through his life and teachings through the lens of his audience, which were first century Jews, we see that of all the times that he's referenced or spoken to, 60% of the 90 times he's addressed in the New Testament in the four Gospels, 60 of those, two-thirds, are reference associated with him as rabbi. Think about that for a minute. Two-thirds, two out of every three times Jesus is addressed. Jesus, the Christ, Messiah, Son of God, Son of Man. He doesn't always talk to him speak about himself in, the, in that phrase, rabbi, often when you use the phrase son of man, which we'll come to another time. But of the 90 times, 60, he's referred to by his immediate audience as rabbi. And so to circle right back to our coffee in Mississauga, how do we make one disciple? Primarily and firstly, we must answer the question, who is Jesus? Because to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a follower, and we'll talk about this next week, to be a follower of Jesus, to know Him, to want to be like Him, to spend time with Him. We'll talk about spiritual practices another time. But today, let's just make clear that He is God, He is man, but He is a rabbi. How do we make one disciple? Let me ask you a different question today. How do you become a disciple? You follow Jesus. You follow this God, this man, this rabbi. Get to know him, learn his teachings, apply them to your life. Maybe you're here today 
and you're like, man, disciple, gee, I'm just like an online church attender. Like I'm, I, I, I got no idea about this stuff. I'm glad you came because many Christians don't. Someone once said, um, going to church or even online church doesn't make you a Christian more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Just because you, do, you go and do and say doesn't mean anything. But that we follow Him and lean into Him and trust Him is everything. And so if you're here today, you don't know Jesus, distant from God, away from Him, never had a relationship, never prayed a prayer, I would love to pray this prayer with you. A prayer that I pray consistently in my own life to get my life right with Him, asking for His help, repenting of my bad job of trying to lead my own life without His help. If that's you, I would love to handshake a relationship between you and my friend Jesus that you might say, hey, I need you. I'm distant from you and I'm wrong and I repent. And can we have a relationship? And so if you're here, friend, and that's you, you're saying, I need Jesus. I'm distant from him. I don't know him. Then I'd love to pray this very simple prayer with you before I hand back to our, our online hosts and our MCs for today's service. So if that's you, let's pray this prayer together. I'll say one line and you repeat it back to me. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. I ask you, forgive me of my sin. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. So stoked, proud of you, thrilled about the prayer. Just prayed the decision that you've made to follow the rabbi of Nazareth, this man, this God, Jesus, our Lord. We love you so much. I'm gonna hand back to our MCs. Click that button in the chat. One of the hosts is gonna pray with you, talk with you for a moment. We love you so much. We'll see you next week for part two. We are so glad you joined us for the Local Church Podcast. To get connected, please follow us on social media and check out our website for groups and other ways to get involved.